everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, we're back after a couple weeks off. Obviously, COVID-19 has stopped all sports and everything, so Chase and I weren't really sure how to proceed. We didn't really want to be the 200th hockey podcast just talking about how this impacts hockey because that's basically what everyone else has done, and I'm sure everyone's kind of sick of that right by now. Uh, so we took a little bit of time off just to kind of figure out uh, where to go. And, you know, Chase and I had to figure out how to switch to online school, which was a uh, uh, pretty big pain in the butt at some points. But uh, at other points, it's been fine. So I hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, today, we figured we're just going to kind of treat it like a little bit of an off season um, and just kind of do content that we might do from the off offseason. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit of news if... Um, it's it's big enough, you know. So, for example, the one of the things that came out today with the uh, or not today, this past week with uh, the GM meetings was they were talking about maybe switching the lottery up if it's a weird year and having a play-in format. I would hate that as a Senators fan. But yeah, I don't know. We figured we'd talk about some stuff. Uh, I asked for some mailbag questions, so we'll do a little bit of those today. And Chase and I have both also made our top ten centers list as well. So. Um, before we get started, I did want to mention that we are on Skype. We're doing our part to try and social distance here. So if the audio is a little bit buggy compared to other weeks, that's why. Uh, please just stick with us as we are trying to figure out how on earth to run this stuff. So uh, I guess we'll start off with Chase. What have you been up to with the couple weeks off? I finally I finished the first draft of that football paper I talked about. And other than that, this has maybe been the least productive and slowest two weeks of my life. What about you? Uh, I've been pretty much, I think you know what I've been doing. We've been playing an aggressive amount of Call of Duty. Um, I think it's been up to, yeah, up to like five or six hours a day, maybe. It's been, it's been bad. The new Warzone thing dropped, that's been a lot of fun, and I just got back into online as well, so it's been a lot of that. It's fun seeing how many people are on PSN at all times. It, it really throws back to, like, the high school days. Yeah, well, it's even worse than that, because you go on at, like, 1.30 on a – like, 1.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, I'll have, like, 25 people online. Meanwhile, that – like, you would never see that beforehand. I think I have a total of 41 friends on PSN right now, and before, like, before this all started, I maybe averaged six online at any given time, and, like, busy would be 12, and, like, super busy would be, like, 15, and now it's a minimum 12 on at all times. All times, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there any hockey news that you actually wanted to discuss? Okay, I think we actually disagree on this playoff for or the lottery format. It makes no sense. Why would you? Because so the thing is that they were like, oh, we'll give one team home ice. Giving the Detroit Red Wings home ice advantage isn't going to do anything in this shitty year. It's just going to mean that some yeah. 16th overall team is going to get the first overall pick. Okay, I think it's a terrible idea to do it this year because you can't just start out the year and then change it halfway through. But going forward, I think it's a good idea. I don't think it is because I think that, you know, people always complain about the lottery. You shouldn't uh, encourage teams to tank. But you know what? No other professional sports team has issues with it. Like, I don't know. And I'd say, if anything, the NHL lottery is so aggressive that it's the most that does persuades teams against tanking. Like, the Detroit Red Wings are they were on pace for being one of the worst teams in cap era. They might have been the worst team ever in the cap era. They had a 20% chance at getting the first overall pick and I think they had like a 60% chance, maybe a little more at getting even a top 3 pick. That's how you keep bad teams bad. I'd rather see just bad teams get good and yeah, I, like maybe you don't want to reward them, but I think the only thing I would like to see if you're going to switch the if from just a lottery system is to go to gold standard drafting where it's like once you're eliminated, that would be the only way. I, I just I don't think a play-in tournament would make much sense because then I think every year you're gonna likely get one of these like teams that miss the playoffs by four points end up getting the first overall pick because they actually have a good team. Yeah, I just it sounded fun, and no NHL GM ever proposes anything fun. So when I saw this idea getting dumped on, I felt sad because this was finally something interesting proposed by a GM. But I, I don't know if I, it's fun. Like, I, I think it'd be fun for, like, three teams, and the rest of the teams would just be pissed off because, like, imagine you're – so, like, for Ottawa fans, obviously. Like, here, if I had to suffer through this year of 82 games or, well, 70 games or whatever it is, and last year of 82 and they didn't even have their top pick – 
And then just to see them have to play and lose four more games so they actually pick ninth instead of second or overall, I'd probably stop watching hockey. It wouldn't be fun. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, so you couldn't do it this year. Like, changing it after, like, eight months after you told teams it's just going to be a lottery would be ridiculous. I don't think that's, like, going to be considered by anyone. But, I don't know. I think it'd be fun. It would definitely give teams less of an incentive to tank. Sure, but then it also gives teams less of an incentive to trade at the deadline. I think deadlines would be a lot less interesting as well because if you're a team like – Maybe not with Taylor Hall, but even New Jersey or someone, or you know, Ottawa. Ottawa's probably not trading Jean Gabriel Pajot this year if they think it's going to kill their chances at getting the first overall pick, or not kill, but you know, hurt significantly. True, but I'd say the deadline kind of sucks anyways, and then it rewards teams who are able to do the cost-benefit analysis of trading their guy for a first-round pick. And I'm all for strategies that reward uh, tough decision making done well. I. I guess, but I'd rather see more trades, even if they're stupid trades, because at least I get to laugh at the stupid trades. Because this is just going to be like teams aren't going to trade. Like even like the the depth guys for third or fourth round picks says like, okay, that could be an interesting addition for the playoffs. That's not going to happen anymore. Well, that would just be stupid of a tanking team because he doesn't improve your win probability at all. Yeah, like I don't know. Then you could say it's. I guess you could say the opposite way though that it'd be stupid of anyone to pick him up because they don't improve the win act or probability, which they do, even if it's slightly. And the same I mean, with idea with the idea most of the time when teams acquire a third pairing defenseman for a second round pick. Sure, but like if you're a tanking team, I'd much rather if you have to play your way to figure out where you're standing in the standings, even if it's a three percent difference or a one percent difference, if that's the difference between first overall pick and ninth overall pick, even if it adds a one percent chance to getting the first overall pick, I'm probably keeping it. Because yeah, in the I'm draft not, it's so hard to get the high end talent. I don't think these players actually do that though. That most of them that go with the, like even Jean Gabriel Pajot is not worth the difference between the first and the ninth overall pick in that. And he's one of the better players to go with the deadline. Also, sure, I, don't, I wasn't sitting at home being like, the deadline is interesting because John Gabriel Pajot got traded. No, but like, I think it would be even worse. Like, we always complain that, you know, they hype it up so much. And then obviously all the big, or not big trades, but all the trades get done like a week before. And then deadline day, there's nothing to talk about, right? That, yeah, again, yeah. that's going to be even worse for content, and I just don't want to see that. And I don't think a play-in lottery system would make any sense because I also have a hard time believing that you're going to convince 12 of the Detroit Red Wings players who know they're not going to be in the NHL in a year, especially not on Detroit, to play for the first overall pick that they will have no benefit from. Yeah, you'd have to see how much uh, the players are into it because obviously if it ends up looking like the All-Star game, then you'd have to cancel it immediately, but... Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just I find it hard to believe that uh, a lot of the bottom feeder teams who have sucked all year anyways are going to care to play. And again, like, imagine well, thinking giving giving Detroit home ice advantage is going to do anything for their chances. I mean, it would help them probably more than the difference between trading that third pairing defenseman. Sure, but it's still not going to help them much at all. Like, and that's the thing, right? Like, I don't know, like. But that's my biggest problem. It's like, obviously, this year is kind of an extreme year because usually, like, Ottawa and L.A. this year would be the worst two kind of teams. Or not yeah. L.A., I guess they they ran off six in a row. But Ottawa and San Jose would be in that tier where it's like, yeah, by the end of the season, it's like 70 points or 62 points or whatever is the worst team, not 38 or whatever on earth Detroit has right now. But yeah, Detroit, still, like, it's just one of those things where it's like, imagine your team is like so bad, bad teams are bad, and that's what happens. And some sports can handle that, like the NFL, the Cleveland Browns have been god-awful for years, and that's kind of what makes them fun to watch at this point, is how just how are they going to mess it up next. But the problem is the NFL is so big it can do that. The NHL can't have markets be bad for eight, nine, ten years at a time, because we've seen what happens when that happens. I mean, they've had markets be bad for a long time. It's not a good thing, obviously, but... No. And also, I mean, it's like, not a certainty that Ottawa loses this tournament. We know enough about no. the randomness of hockey that at least this gives the illusion of, like, controlled chaos as opposed to just flipping coins. But can't you argue that the 82 games in the regular season controlled chaos? Like, if you're if you're designing your team not to be good enough, there's controlled chaos there in terms of... You know, I mean, you give yourself the best chance to win the lottery. Yeah, I just mean relative to the 
ping pong balls. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think it's a stupid idea. I, I don't. I think if you wanted to do something where you actually had to make the players earn it, gold drafting is the way to go. So when a team's eliminated, it's how many points they accrue from when they're eliminated. Um, I think that seems more logical to me anyways, because you're not adding anything to the schedule, which would be a huge, I think, uh, tipping point for NHLPA. There's no way players would want to add even... Like, I don't know what the play-in tournament will look like. Let's say it's an extra eight games for non-playoff teams, right? It would be a hard time convincing, I think, players to play those eight games if they're out of the playoffs, uh, if they're not getting paid. Because playoffs, players barely get paid. Like, they do a little bit from revenue, but it's like the the high-paid guys aren't getting paid what their salary is. If the choice was between gold drafting in this tournament, I would definitely take gold drafting. But I think the tournament could be fun. Like, I, I, I don't know be a great long-term idea but i was happy to see something fun get proposed by nhl gms yeah and i, I thought know. Hey, I, it couldn't hurt to try it i i don't know i i'm not as much and i i don't think i'm a purist in hockey by any means but like and i'm a kind of again so i don't know if you saw the uh people were proposing putting 24 teams into the playoffs i think that's a lot too but if you wanted to do a wild card style game where you put two more teams in the playoffs and make 15 16 17 18 play each other that would be more fun to me than watching the i don't know 19th place team just beat up on the 31st place team for first overall pick in the lottery yeah fair enough it's not like it's gonna happen anyways you can't just i assume you'd get so many complaints from the owner like it'd be so unfair to do yeah, that to well, teams after you told them it was going to be a draft lottery this year yeah and it's so hard anyways to like like you've seen teams like edmonton the, the biggest thing is always edmonton it's like oh how many first overall picks did they have and they were still bad for so long right so it's like yeah. now imagine adding that but also making them have to play for the first overall pick teams like edmonton and arizona will never get good it's just they, they won't obviously yeah. unless they stumbled into mcdavid right but I mean, they still might not even be good. Yeah, exactly. And and at best, I think they're still kind of like the 10th to 17th best team in the league, right? Which is shameful. It is shameful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think a play-in tournament, I think it would cause way more issues than it would. Like, maybe it would provide some benefit. But the thing is, when are you doing it? Because if you're doing it right when the playoffs are happening, I'd still much rather watch the playoffs I mean, I'm sure a couple teams would watch to see if their team's getting the first overall pick, but then you're taking away your viewership from the playoffs. Yeah, you could maybe do it in, like, during the cup finals or something. I don't know. I never really thought about the timing of it. That would definitely be a difficult yeah, problem to solve. Yeah, because then also by the cup finals, you got three guys, or you have most of the teams who've been off for four or five or six weeks, and they're like, I don't want to come back and play four games that don't mean anything to me. Yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, I don't know. I think there is at least they're providing ideas, I guess. I just think that one was kind of stupid. But um, so we took way more time on that than I thought. But that's all right. We haven't talked about stuff for a while. It might be a bit busier of an episode today. But let's get into our top 10 center list, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I have some honorable mentions uh, right off the bat. I have four that I just I wasn't sure what to do with them for a couple reasons. So I'll run through my honorable mentions right now. Um my honorable mentions include Steven Stamkos, Leon Dreisaitl, Matthew Barzell, and Evgeny Malkin. Uh, Malkin, so what I did to kind of try and figure out this list is I started, I, I, I included shooting talent a little bit too, and then I also tried to include the last two years of Evolving Hockey's uh, goals above replacement as well, as along with looking at some other stuff uh, too. So for me, uh, I'll just run through the list. You know, Stamkos, I think he's he's not as good as he once was, but I think he's the last two seasons... Uh, his t- it's hard to kind of separate what him and his teammates have done separately. Um, so that's kind of where I had him just on the outside looking in. Uh, with Dreisaitl, the only reason I think you could probably could make a case he's in the top 10, but last year he spent his entire season almost as a winger, So and parts of this year too, so I didn't include him as a center when there was 10 other options that have played center for the past two years pretty much. Yeah, uh, with far as... With Barzell, I just couldn't really... He was probably my 11th. I don't know. Like, Barzell's so tough because his system doesn't allow him to do anything, and it's not... He's kind of the opposite of Steven Stamkos, where he has literally no teammates to work with. Um, so I just yeah. wasn't really sure what to do with him. Yeah, I he's a tough one. I would really like to see him with teammates. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just I, I left him off the list. He's on the honorable mentions. He's right there. And then my last one is Evgeny Malkin, who he had a rough year last year. He's bounced back this year, but uh, his last year was so bad that I just I don't know. I have a bit of a tough time putting him ahead of some of the people I have on my list. Yeah, it's kind of it kind of feels like a changing of the guard has happened in the past two or three years. There were a lot of guys who were consistently on this list for a long time, like Malkin, that I do not have on anymore. No. Um, yeah, there's like I, I'm trying to think of the list we did last year. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like there might be four guys. Uh, no, there's probably a little more, but I think the ordering has changed a little bit for sure. But um, all right, so did you did you have any honorable mentions? Instead of honorable mentions, I literally have five dudes sitting in the 10 spot, and I don't feel passionately about any of them. Okay, how about you list those guys off then, and then we can do the 10 as well. There I have Eichel, Barzell, Point, Tavares, and Malkin. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, I, I shoot, I left Tavares off my honorable mentions as well. He was right there with me. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's I pretty. I have. Who do you have? Sorry. I, I would say I don't have. I have a few of those guys you just mentioned a little higher on my list, but I think the highest is seventh or eighth. So once you get down a list like that, there's so little difference between the players that like I don't feel passionately about arguing between point as eleven and Barzell twelve or whatever. Like yeah, uh, yeah, I know. For my list personally, I thought there was a pretty obvious one, two, three, and then I thought four to six was pretty close as well, and then seven through. 14 i thought was honestly like you could make an argument for just about anyone and i honestly might be forgetting someone i put this list together about 20 minutes before we started recording in typical me fashion but yeah it sucks there's probably like 22 guys that people could easily think of as like top 10 centers too like aho i don't know if you have them in there but like i don't even really think about him but i could easily hear an argument if you want him 10 that like i would definitely buy that yep even like I know the Flames guys have had a bit of a down year this year, but uh, you know a couple of guys over in the Flames for the wingers as well, like Goudreau. We'll get to the wingers eventually, but it's like those guys are also tough too because it's like okay, where do you gauge them if you had a bit of a down year this year? And some of it was shooting, but some of it was play as well. But you've been unreal for the past two or three years, right? Yeah, because Monahan was really, really good in eighteen nineteen, but this year all of the Flames obviously took a bit of a step back. Yeah. Um, okay. So my number 10 was Barkov. I maybe, I don't know, I kind of want to put him a little higher on this list, but he took a step back this year, and he's gone from, I think, one of the most underrated players in the league to the most one of the most overrated. Um, last year, he was very, very, very good still. Um, now, I, we've mentioned a more multiple times on this podcast our beef with him being underrated. If literally everyone in the sp- sport says you're underrated, you're not underrated. But that being said, he's still a very, very strong centerman. And I don't know, I, again, for a lot of these guys from like seven to 10, it was like, I I could move him up if I really wanted to, but his, this year has, he has struggled to the point where like, he's still, you know how good he is when his struggle is still a like four goals above replacement player, but that's considered a quote unquote struggle for him. Yeah, exactly. And like, so I have him nine. And the problem with Barkov, when everybody talks about how underrated he is, he's not even this, like, play-driving god that everybody seems to think he is. He's more just one of the best penalty differential guys in the league, and he's really good on the power play at this point. Like, he's not this Selkie win, like, slam-dunk Selkie winning guy that everybody thought he was, and that's why he became this quote-unquote underrated force in the league or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He had, like one good defensive year and then everyone's just like oh my god he's so underrated defensively he's just one of the best two-way centers it's like well no he was kind of like that for one year but then he's hasn't been like that for like three now so yeah it's been a while god i have to readjust my list again you know what i'm gonna keep markov 10 i'm gonna move a couple people down O'Reilly is going to be on my honorable mentions. I had O'Reilly 9, but I might move him to, like, the 11th-ish spot. That's fair. I got because, him on my list. but Okay. I would say he's, like, just somewhere in there where it's, like, he's in that range, again, of just the guys where it's, like, I can you can make an argument really any way. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, I don't, I, like, I don't know. I, Pardon? I kind of... 
I kind of defer towards priors maybe more than I should, but that keeps O'Reilly on it for me. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, like, I think he, like, there's one just big name that I I left off that is like, like really good. So I, I kind of need to figure out where to put him. Um, yeah, that's. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like O'Reilly's one of those guys where it's like, and you saw what he did in the playoffs last year. He won MVP of the playoffs. So it's just like he, he can show up, quote unquote, when you need him. If you want to put any stock into that, I guess. Um, yeah. And then, you know, he's also just, like, he's a great play driver. He's shown in Buffalo that he can do it without big teammates, too. So, like, I think that's got to give him a bit of a boost, too. But, yeah, I'd probably have him in that, you know, 8 to 11, 12, 13th range. You know, I think you could make an argument anywhere in there. Maybe even a little higher if you want to put a lot of stock into, you know, defensive kind of stuff as well. Yeah, and he's great. He can play the toughest competition in the world with garbage teammates, put up good results, and never take any penalties. Like, what else can you really ask of a center? Yeah, exactly. And he's on a sweet cap hit, too. I know that doesn't factor into this, but still. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, okay, I had Barkov 10, you had him 9, so O'Reilly yeah. or... Yeah, O'Reilly was going to be my nine, but uh, I have now bumped Eichel back to nine. Um, So my thing with Jack Eichel is – pardon? That's fair. I wanted to have Eichel on the list. Yeah, so again, he's kind of like – again, you could really switch him and Eichel – or him and Eichel. Him and O'Reilly kind of where I have these in my opinion. Uh, the reason I put Eichel on uh, and not O'Reilly is because Eichel is doing a little bit more in Buffalo than O'Reilly did with, I think, even less teammates at times. Like, Jeff Skinner was absolute garbage this year, and they had so bad that they took him off Eichel's wing halfway through the year. And I don't even know if I can name the two wingers that Eichel was playing with for half the year. And he still has just put up a bunch of points. He's been literally the only reason that team was even remotely close to playoffs for a while. So yeah, uh, that's what... Uh, love this year for sure yeah exactly exactly so that's why i have him at my i guess nine spot now um i i think the shooting talent for him factors in a little bit too I, he's a he's a great play driver but he also has a, a a wicked shot and you know he's a he's good heads up player as well so uh that has to factor in a little bit in my opinion as well yeah he's got those gaudy transition stats too in buffalo which is necessary when you have 0.5 puck moving defenseman on your team for your first like five years of your career or whatever. Yeah, exactly. He's just so good in, you know, he's not a stud defensively or anything, but he's so good in so many areas of the ice that it's just like, if he, like, if you put him in Matthew's position, uh, I think Matthew's is better, obviously, but I don't think the drop off is as severe as, you know, some fans might think it would be. No, it would be really nice to see Eichel playing with a Marner, a Neil, well, a good Nylander, I guess I should say. Yeah, sure or a Tavares. Yeah, yeah, Tavares. Yes. Yeah, and Alex Nylander, yeah. Or, yeah, you know, a Tavares to take the hard uh, uh, defensive assignments in front of him or something like that too, right? Yeah, or Kadri taking the top lines early on in Matthew's career and stuff like that too. Yeah, exactly. So it would be nice to see him like that and – you know, you kind of hope Buffalo can get to at least somewhat like that point. But uh, until then, you know, he's on nine in my list. Uh, so who do you have at eight? At eight, I have Ryan O'Reilly. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's fair. And so we're kind of in the same uh, ballpark with him as well. Um, I have Braden Point at eight. So you had him at the tennis spot, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I had him in that question mark at ten where he could easily be ahead of any of those guys I listed at 10, or even a couple of the guys here, because there's yeah. not that much of a difference between 8 and 10, obviously. No, um, and yeah, for, for point, I kind of had him there just because, uh, if you go and look, he, he's, over the past two years for centerman, he's first in goals above replacement in terms of the, the ones that I kind of drew for the top 20 or whatever that I could think of, or top 15 that I could think of. And that's pretty impressive. And I know he has great teammates to go along with him, but he's still also, you know, uh, 12 uh, goals above replacement ahead of uh, Steven Stamkos, who's on his team as well. And he's, you know, he's just a solid player all around. He's been that for two years now. So that's why I had him a little bit above where you did. But again, it's not much of a difference at this point. 
Yeah, exactly. And he's one of those guys, I don't think you're breaking any ground on analytics Twitter talking about how good Braden Point is, but I think relative to what the average hockey fan thinks, he is probably pretty underrated because he is an elite player in the NHL, and I don't think your average hockey fan thinks that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think that people are starting to come around on just how good people in Tampa are. Like, I know Anthony Sorelli is getting a lot of Selkie love this year, which is surprising. You know, usually that stuff wouldn't take place for another two or three seasons or whatever, but... Yeah, it's nice to see. I guess when a team is just as dominant as Tampa Bay has been, at some point you just have to say a decent chunk of these players must be amazing because how else can they be that good for the past two or three years? Exactly, and it's just like... Um, when you, you know, when you lose guys like JT Miller, we talked about, it's like, yeah, he's not an amazing player, but you see what he's done in Vancouver. He's been very, very good. And he was strong in Tampa as well, but they just don't even miss him in Tampa because they just have guys to seamlessly step in and replace him. It's like part of that system, but part of that is a lot of the players on that team is really, really good and can either help the new guys or the new guys that they draft are also very good. So yeah, exactly. Um, so that was my eight, and you said you had, is it O'Reilly at eight? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so who do you have at seven? I have Elias Patterson. Hey, we agree on someone. So this is the guy I accidentally left off my list at the first go-around. I had him, and then I realized that I didn't put him on anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah, so he's, uh, he's just been flat-out amazing the past two years. Yeah, like, there's so... There's not a lot to talk about with him where it's like Vancouver's got like a fine team. They're not good. I like, I don't, they're just fine. But Pedersen and Hughes have been two big reasons of that. And Pedersen was amazing last year and he didn't even have a guy like Hughes to feed him the puck or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. He's been, it's not like he's got nothing to play with, but they're not exactly like nobody thinks of Vancouver as a dynamite offensive team. No, like they're a strong enough team. Like they're, I'd say they're average. They're just the definition of average where they could finish, you know, with Markstrom or whatever, they get some good goaltending. They could finish like 10th in the season totals. But they, if, you know, when Markstrom goes down or something like this, they could finish like 20, 21st or whatever too, right? Like they're just a a very average roster. So, but uh, Pedersen is not average. He's, he's been amazing for both. The, you know, the past two years. Uh, so I talked about goals above replacement for the past two years. I have 17 names that I just kind of brought up, and Aho wasn't one of them, so he might be a little bit ahead. But Pedersen is only behind Brayden Point in goals above replacement over the last two years. And some of that's game played for these guys. You know, they have a couple more games played than some other guys on the list, but uh, other is just, just that it's just raw talent too, so. Yeah, the other, the a little bit tough thing with Pedersen is we don't have a ton of data on him, and he his gar was probably pretty swayed by an absolute shooting heater in his rookie year so it's kind of like he's obviously going to be an above average shooter in the nhl but it's hard to know exactly where the shooting talent lies for him since he's only played two seasons yeah yeah that's very true um okay so for six who did you have then i have patrice bergeron okay so i had him two spots higher, but I debated putting him here. Um, I have Sean Couturier here, so I was pretty much debating which one I should put four and which one I put should put six. Um, so we have those two guys flipped. Okay, yeah, and I was I was really debating putting Couturier four, but I, I decided to just go with Priors, I guess, and put Bergeron. Um, and that's probably, like, it's just more biased than anything else right now, but uh, they could really be flipped, and I went, they're kind of, not the same player, but they're very similar players to me in terms of their career arc, where it's just like, both of them have never really, like, jumped off the score sheet offensively, but they're very, both are very, very strong defensively. Yeah, they're just good at everything. Yeah, um, and again, like in the past two years here for uh, Evolving Wild's goals above replacement, their even strength defense is 5 and 4.9 for the two of them. So, um, like, it, it, they're just, they're very strong, and they're they're great on kind of all areas of the ice. Yeah, before you propose this, I, I thought Bergeron was going to be lower on my list than he actually was, because we've talked about it, how it looks like he might be the third best player on that top Boston line. But the more I've been looking into it, the more I think that's just a compliment to the other two guys than Bergeron really falling off hard. He's maybe not the number two or three center in the league like he could have been a couple years ago, but he's still an elite centerman. 
Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, it's that line works so perfectly together, and you know, it's always so interesting to me with Boston listening to people uh, argue about who drives the bus on the the big line there because it's just like people you have the people who are like oh it's Pasternak and Marsham now dragging Bergeron around and obviously that's not true but then other people go oh yeah it's Bergeron dragging Pasternak around and when Bergeron and Marshawn leave Pasternak's gonna be like a 40 point winger and like that's not true either like it's probably somewhere in the middle where all three are just very 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 good talents or you know borderline elite for some of them and I'd say elite for the other right like I don't know it, it's yeah, interesting yeah. It's interesting to see who's driving the bus there, I guess. Yeah, and, like, they've been by far the best line in the league at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, even that McKinnon line, when they're all healthy, is really, really good, but they don't even put up close to the results of the Bergeron line, so it makes sense that maybe all three are just that freaking good as opposed to one dude driving it. Exactly, and if you like, from just a pure selfish point of view, I, I kind of want to see if they got split up, you know, whose line would still be the best, you know. Um, but at the same time, if you're Boston, why would you ever uh, split them up? Because they're just they're the best line in the league, bar none. Yeah, exactly. There's like There are legitimate analytical arguments that you should at least have them on two separate lines, if not three. But there gets to that point where if it ain't like, if it ain't broke, yeah, I would have a tough time if I was in the Boston front office as split this line up, make like making that my hill to die on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and they have like split them up at times. You know, when when Boston's not going so well and they're on a couple game losing streak, I know they've they've split them up for a game or two, and or you know even just for a period or two, and put you know Pasternak down on the second line before they went out and acquired people with Krejci to try and kickstart Krejci a little bit too. So it's not like they only play together, but they play a lot of minutes together. And uh, fair enough. Um, and then, yeah, for Couturier, like, I, I think Couturier is probably one of the most underrated players in the league. I don't think many people outside of Philly and maybe hockey Twitter community realize how just elite he is defensively and even offensively, too. Like, he's not he going to be... I say, like, he, he generates a lot of offense. Now, he's not popping off the score sheet with, like, 110 points or anything like that, but you absolutely don't need to be that when you're just controlling the puck all the time. Yeah, exactly. And he's a good example. People talk about a dude with 50 points and they're like, well, the only way a guy who scores 30 points can be better than a guy with 50 is that his defense is worth 20 goals, which obviously never happens. But Katuri is a great example that like you can greatly increase your team's offense when you're on the ice without getting points. And he does that really, really well. Exactly. And ideally you want, obviously you want him to turn those into goals, but it's like, even if it doesn't, what's the matter? Like, if you're up one goal and if you just... The puck still goes in the net. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. And if you're up one goal and you just have a line that plays 10 of the 20 minutes of a third period and gives up one shot on net but just cycles it around the offensive period the whole time or offensive end the whole period, what do you care? You're still winning. Yeah, exactly. Patrice Bergeron... I guess it goes for Bergeron, too. But, yeah, they're both just so good at just everything that you could feel comfortable having them out no matter what situation it is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, if you had him four and six and I had them six and four, I guess we'll just call those guys good. So who do you have at five? I assume we're about to have the same five, Matthews. Yes. Okay, so our lists aren't as fun as maybe I was hoping in terms of difference, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's actually a first. Usually our lists are at least different in the point where it's like we don't have anyone really the same until we get to the top two. But, yeah, I'm surprised uh, how similar it ended up being. Yeah, but yeah, for Matthews, uh, Matthews, the big one for me is shooting talent. Um, he's uh, kind of like Eichel in where they both do drop or drive play well enough, but it's not like at the absolute elite level. But they're like Matthews is just the, one of the one of the best five on five scorers we've ever seen. So like it's just yeah, hard exactly. to it's hard to discount him, right? Yeah, like Sean Couturier will make sure more shots go on net than Matthews will. But Matthews just puts so much more in the net that like he, you can be a better offensive player despite not having point totals or despite exactly. not having a play drive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like uh, I find uh, when watching Matthews a little bit too, and this is one of the first times I use the eye test because I watch enough Toronto games just because they're on locally here. But yeah. I find when I'm watching Matthews, it's like you could not notice him for like 
most of a night and then suddenly he'll just pop off for a goal or two quickly and it's just like okay like he didn't do a ton but then he scored a goal or two so you know i consider that a pretty good night right like yeah exactly he's quite good at that and he quietly yeah. was pretty good defensively last year he wasn't like amazing but i don't think you need matthews to be amazing defensively to be happy with him as a player no, you don't need that um, the the Brendan Shanahan quote where it's like, oh, we think he can be both the Selkie leader while leading the league in goals or whatever. It's like, so you think he's just the best player on the planet or could be. You don't need yeah. that to be him. He was just fine defensively, which is exactly what you want. Like um, uh, the uh, sorry, the Rapham chart for of all in hockey has him literally just like not even half a standard deviation above average defensively. But again, that's all you want because he's so above average offensively. Yeah, exactly. Like if Matthews is in the 58th percentile or whatever for like defensive value added, he could easily be like the second or third best forward or player in the league because he has the potential to be that good offensively. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's why I kind of I put him at five because I think that, you know, his I don't want to say lack of play driving, but lack of play driving maybe compared to the other three or four guys above him, uh, bump him down a little bit, but his, his just pure shooting talent has to be respected on that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Then, so for three, I'm assuming you have Nathan McKinnon. Yep. And then two, Sidney Crosby. Yep. <laughs> and one, Connor McDavid. Okay. So we have the same top three. Let's go with McKinnon. Uh, cause I want to get in the Crosby versus McDavid thing in a little bit too, but, uh, let's get, let's go into McKinnon. Uh, I think it's, I think this year was a really good um, kind of caveat to show exactly that he's not just uh, what people maybe think Bergeron is at this point. Um, and again, rightfully or wrongfully for the Bergeron thing. But, you know, last year the big knock on McKinnon was, oh, well, of course he's good. He's playing with Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog. That's an elite line. Like, let's see if he's the third best centerman without them. And guess what? He was without them for a good chunk of this year because they were both injured for long stretches. Yeah, he's just straight up amazing. Yeah, he's kind of got that Matthews thing where he's not like great defensively. He's not like an active liability either, which is all you need. Yeah, exactly. And he just he's so good that he just he's not like I don't want to say he's like sound defense. Like he's kind of like he's a little below Matthews, but his offensive is just off the chart. So if you use Rapham, Matthews was almost two standard deviations above average for offensive categories. McKinnon is above three above two and above uh, about two and a half standard deviations for the three offensive categories they have and just literally zero and slightly below average for Corsi against per 60. So it's like, he's just, he's one of those guys where it's not like he's sound defensively, but he's so good at just stealing the puck and going the other way with it. Like, and just, you know, if you give him, well, I guess McDavid too, obviously, but McKinnon's just a transition God. Yeah, exactly. Like if you give him any time and space, he's just gone with it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what makes him so special, right? Yeah, exactly. It's amazing how close we were to starting to have the conversation that McKinnon might be a bust and then just boom. Yeah, well, yeah, and it was funny that they, they signed that just godlike contract the year, his down year, where he had like 50 points or whatever. And I was like, yeah, wow, okay, where's the rookie year, Nathan McKinnon? Is he, like, maybe this is just what he is, a second-line center. And then, yeah, boom, he's just one of the top five centers in the league for like the next three seasons. Yeah, exactly. I I think we've calmed down on the is Nathan McKinnon the second best or even first best player in the world talk that was happening near the playoffs last year because of where Edmonton is again, which is good, but still. Yeah. Yeah, at some point last summer, people just started calling him the second best player in the world, which was insane to me because Sidney Crosby was better than Nathan McKinnon was in 1819. Uh, you could well, argue uh, Sidney people... Crosby was better than Connor McDavid was in 1819. I think he was. Yeah. But people love looking for the new thing. Like people. Yes. A guy who's yeah. been at the top forever. People love saying that someone new is there now. Exactly. You just almost get bored of talking about the same guy who's been just amazing for a decade straight now. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. And then one verse two, I think Crosby is now after the season, uh, pretty obviously two in my opinion. Again, last year, I think you could argue that he was better than McDavid. Uh, but this year between injuries and just like, he's been, he was great. He was very good when he was playing, but it's not like he was just like, like, I think he has right now like a 3.5 goals above replacement for this year. And obviously that's not the be all end all stat, but it's just one of those things where it's like, 
I think there's an obvious that he's now two to Connor McDavid, and there's nothing wrong with that given the age difference. Yeah. Yeah, and if you weighed too heavily towards last year you could and did it purely statistically, you could probably have Sid sliding pretty far down this list. But, like, he was injured last year, and he only played five, 600 minutes, and I really don't want to be the guy that bets against Sidney Crosby. Something tells me he didn't get bad overnight. No, not at all. And, like, even just watching him when he was playing, it was obvious before he actually got his surgery that he was kind of playing hurt as well. Like, he – and when he just, like, there's only so much you can do sometimes with, like, the – I don't even know what his wingers are at times this year. It's just like the Brian Rust before Brian Rust was actually good of the world. Yeah, it's classic Pittsburgh. That the uh, acting the Fuleman tweet about Mark Donk and Buzz Flibbit all of a sudden having 20-goal, 50-point seasons as Penguins wingers. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like It's just one of those things where I agree with you where if you put a lot of stock into this I, I guess we can call it last this current year that we're technically in in just kind of a standstill limbo right now. Yeah, he could probably move down the list a little bit, but uh, I, I'm comfortable having him at two for at least another year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna need a lot of evidence before I start sliding Crosby down the list because <laughs> we have so much data on how amazing this guy is. I think you'd be pretty dumb to throw all that out after 600 minutes. Exactly. Uh, and then it gets to one. I always feel bad for the one on the list. You know, as a Sens fan growing, uh, you know, a couple years ago, I'd always listen to the PDO cast when he had Andrew Berkshire on. And they'd always do their top 10 positional rankings, just kind of like we're doing right now. And every yeah. time they'd get up to one, and it would be Eric Carlson every time at one. And they'd be like, sorry, Sens fans, this is the only time you're going to get mentioned on any of these lists. But I really don't know what to say because he's just so good that there's nothing to say. Yeah, exactly. Like McDavid... That's this is why the dry sidle heart talk irritated me this year because Connor McDavid is a better hockey player than Leon Dreisaitl. And yes. every like he's a better hockey player than everyone. He is just so otherworldly offensively that I could not be convinced to take anyone else on my team if my life depended on it. No. Um he's just so good. Like and just like again, I had bring up the eye test, just watching him. There's so few athletes, especially in hockey. You know, other uh, other sports is different. Like if you get to watch an amazing quarterback, like watching Patrick Mahomes is amazing because Mahomes always has the ball. Every snap that's on offense, the ball goes through Patrick Mahomes, right? So you just get to yeah. see him work his magic. With hockey, it's a little different because there's five guys on each team on the ice, right? And and a goalie as well. So it's like a lot of the players in hockey, like even even someone like Mark Stone, who is fun to watch when you know what you're looking for. But if you're just a casual fan picking up, you're not going to know that Mark Stone is one of the best players in the league. Probably. Yeah, you'd like, be really – like Mitch Marner does more fun things during – like eye-popping things during a game than Mark Stone, despite exactly. the fact that he's a like overall player. Yes, but with Connor McDavid, it's just like on all airs of the ice, he's just like – just watching him pick up this, the puck in his own end and within two seconds be – like forcing the goalie to make a save. It's just so insane to watch. Yeah. There's one clip of McDavid. It's my absolute favorite. They're playing the coyotes and he kind of gets the puck in his defensive zone. And then he starts taking maybe a stride or two. And you see the defenseman just bail to the goalie to go protect him or whatever. And at first you're thinking like, okay, whatever, maybe this is some bum defenseman third pair on the coyotes. And it's Oliver Ekman Larson who sees McDavid coming and just bails. Yep, or like what he did to Morgan Riley uh, earlier this year against Toronto, where it's like he's just looking, he's literally looking the other way, cuts it through his leg and just goes the other way and just breaks Morgan Riley's ankles. Yeah, like he's just so good. Yeah, not... he's just amazing. Like, it's insane. It's really insane. And you you had a post a couple weeks ago about um, how maybe Connor McDavid is just bad at defense and why that's okay. And that is the truth. I mean, if you look at any statistical model it'll show that Edmonton bleeds shots while he's on the ice because uh McDavid takes uh you know gives up some defense to make infinitely more amount of offense and there's no issue with that because you know why even as one of the worst defensive players in the league you know a very below average defensive player in this league he is still by and far the best player in the league because he creates that much more offense yeah, exactly. Like when your offense is that good, if you're generating this offense at the cost of defense, you don't really care because he is that good. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, like I, I don't know how much more I can say. I feel like everyone at this point knows how good Connor McDavid is. 
Yeah, exactly. I don't think anybody's arguing with a list that has McDavid one. No, there's a very, very few people who might, and those people probably aren't worth listening to. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, so that's our top ten centermen. I think we'll probably do left wing, right wing, and defenseman uh, at some point in the next couple weeks. Uh, Chase and I haven't discussed it much, but uh, considering we're both just kind of sitting around the house all day, we might try and do... I was thinking maybe a podcast or, you know, two podcasts a week where it's more like 30-minute episodes instead of one one hour one if it's just two lists. But we'll take a look at that, and we'll definitely get the other positional groups going uh, soon enough. Um, for today, we to round out the podcast, we're at about the 45-minute mark or so right now. So uh, we still have a couple minutes left here. We figured we'd take some mailbag questions. Um, so we got a few, uh, a couple joke ones and a couple actual ones. Uh, if you ever have a question for any of us, you can... Uh, leave it as a review on iTunes or something like that, or find us on Twitter, like usual, at NHL Sense and stuff, or at CMHockey66. Um, so we'll just go through a couple of the questions that I asked. Uh, first, Allie McMurray, uh, Chase's girlfriend, asked, what's your favorite car game? Uh, Chase, I'll let you answer this one. Okay, so at first I read this as, like, video game, which confused me why she was asking this, but I think she means, like, the would you kill chat, or who would you kill and how would you do it game, Correct. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I didn't even know how to take this, but now everyone listening is just be like, wow, these people are psychopaths. Have you ever had the treat of being in the car with the court when he gets a car game going? Oh, yes. Uh, we had a trip this summer. It was about a four-hour drive up to uh, our uh, Q's cottage. Yeah. And um, him and Tyler Moser decided to make a game called Vents. Um, and... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this game. Like, it was just literally, they had the vents that just put the air conditioning out in the back of the car, and they just kept flicking it back and forth to each other. And every time it got flicked to one side, they go, my point, my point, my point, and then they just make up rules as they go. And I don't know if I've ever seen Q this mad. I thought he was going to crash the car on purpose because he was like, would you guys shut the hell up? I'm trying to drive. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that, I can see how he would get fired up with that. Okay, on uh, you know how we went to Blue Mountain over, what's it called, Reading Week? Yeah. We had a fun one, and this would only work for those who don't know, Alex and I are 21 years old. This would only work for relatively young friend groups. But we played Who's Gonna Be the First Two, and that was actually quite an amusing group to play, or game to play within the friend group. Like, who's gonna be the first to get divorced and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be a fun one. It's just... Just mindless things like that to just kind of kill the time. Exactly. Uh, if we're going, I do want to answer. If we're going car video games, though, Grand Theft Auto, absolutely. Does that count as a car video game? I mean, you drive cars around. It's Grand Theft Auto, right in the name. I think it'd be a car video game. Yeah, that's true. Okay, if GTA counts, then yes. If not, I'd. Me and Vinny played like Need for Speed Most Wanted all the time as kids. That's that's got a special place in my heart. I think I played. I don't know what year it was. Maybe NASCAR 09 or something like that. I loved that game. That was a lot of fun. NASCAR was a classic, too. Going backwards yeah. and just running everybody off the road. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was always fun when you just turn around. Uh, the problem with that one was when you played with a friend, you do split screen. But then, for some reason, I don't know why, but the game would only load 23 cars in, not 43 or whatever it was that NASCAR races have. So it would be like, yeah, there's yeah. so many less people to hit. But... Being single player and just turning around, going to a 43-man race and just going to one of the short tracks where you turn around and just seeing a, a pack of 42 cars and crashing into them, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a uh, classic. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess moving on, we'll do a couple actual hockey questions here. Um, from Trevor Shack TS on Twitter, he says, favorite depth players of all time on Ottawa. Uh, I told Chase, open this up to Toronto and Pittsburgh for him. Uh, did you have any that uh, came to mind for you, Chase? Okay, I have a real Sens answer, and this is going to sound ironic, but I actually loved this man when he first came over, Dion Phaneuf. I really like Dion Phaneuf as a person. Yeah, he seems like, like a I genuinely good dude. He yeah, was, and like, 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 I don't know, because well, so for when he went over to Toronto for you, you would have been younger, right? Like, we would have been, oh, I don't know, like, probably 10? When yeah, went we to were really young when Dion came to Toronto. So it was like this really cool guy that we, or at least I loved, because he was the big ticket Toronto Maple Leaf. 
Yeah, and like the the big physical defenseman who the double D on who hits everyone, right? And that was always just like obviously when you're younger, that always just kind of appeals, or at least it appealed to me as, you know, a player, right? And so that's yeah. why for for my answer, I don't know if like depth player I don't know if it's cheating, but like Chris Neal is probably one of my favorite depth players of all time. That's a good like, one. Like I feel like it's cheating just because he was like not the face of Ottawa's franchise, but one of the faces of Ottawa's franchise for a while. Um in terms of just like, but he just made a career so long out of like, by the end of his career, he was a very not NHL player. Like in that 2016-17 run, he wasn't an NHL player and he shouldn't have been getting minutes. But like even in like 2011-12, when fighting kind of still had a place, he could do that. But he could also score a few goals. It's not like he was completely useless, useless when he was on the ice. Yeah, he wasn't always this complete liability. No, like in, in 2011-12, he had 13 goals, 15 assists, um, considering he picked up 178 penalty minutes with that season. Like, he was like, like the typical fourth-line guy for like 2011-12, and I love that of him. Yeah, I have like vague childhood memories of him and Darcy Tucker gnawing at each other. and I, Him and Ty Domi. Like, me too, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess my favorite current – I have two more maybe that from Ottawa. I, I'd say Frederick Cleason was one of my favorite depth players. Um, at this point, he's probably, it's pretty obvious he's probably a sixth or seventh defenseman. Uh, I always thought he could be, you know, maybe a partner for Eric Carlson, but just as a guy too, he always seems so cool. Like on his Instagram stories, he'd always just show his, him and his buddies just drinking and stuff like that or whatever. Uh, so he was always fun on and off the ice. And, uh, this past year or so, Mark Borwecki has become one of my favorite depth players as well. Uh, he hasn't been a liability on the ice, but he is one of the few very, very good guys in hockey. I'm not saying everyone's bad by any means, but like, Borwecki openly, uh, you know, stands up for LGBTQ rights and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, there's the story this year of how he stopped a robber in Vancouver. Uh, that's just all those little stories of him. Wait, just what? So, did you not hear about that? No. <laughs> yeah, some dude, like, ro- I don't know if it was a purse or a store, but some dude was on a bike. He just robbed someone, and he just clotheslined them off. That was freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was in Vancouver when they were out on their road trip. Uh, yeah, so it's just like, it's just little, it's not even little, it's the things like that that just make him so cool on and off the ice. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that would probably be my thing. Uh, I don't have, like, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I never like truly really got into hockey until like 2014, 15-ish. Like, I always watched Ottawa growing up, but I never really like took the time to remember all the players' names. Like, I knew them, but it was like, I would never know if they were good or not because I was just, I was a kid, really. Like, I was nine years old, but it would just be like... Oh yeah, that guy. He scored a couple big goals for my team once. He was probably unreal. And then now I go look at, it, he's like, oh no, he was a bad player. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, like, I was always really, really into it. And I would think, like, I felt super passionately that Jonathan Taze was overrated as a kid or whatever because he never had point per game season or whatever. And looking back now, being like, oh no, Jonathan Taze was actually like maybe the second best player in the league in thirteen, fourteen. So even if you were into it, it's kind of funny just looking back at how stupid you once were yeah exactly uh the next question is from at toro veyron on twitter i don't even know how to begin to pronounce your last name i apologize um said who are the players you thought would be good but never panned out uh so i immediately responded with a uh gif of curtis lazar um that would be my big one um, I, again, I think, you know, I'm not a huge draft guy. Uh, I tried, you know, watching a bunch of, uh, OHL hockey and stuff like that a couple of years ago. And I don't know, I just didn't like it. And obviously it takes time to try and figure out what you're looking at and stuff like that. But so that's why it's like, I'm never a huge draft guy, but I'd say like, there's always just guys where it's like, uh, another big one for me was, um, it's been sad. I don't even know his name anymore. Who who Ottawa traded for Alex Burrows? Um, oh, Jonathan Dallin. Yeah, Jonathan Dallin. I, I was just kind of thought that he'd at least come become some kind of second or third line NHL player, and he hasn't been able to crack the NHL even yet. So maybe that's another big one for me. I'd say. Yeah, that's fair. The other tough thing is like we started like really really getting into hockey the past few years, so it's kind of tough to talk about straight up never panned out because we mainly focus on NHL level players and we've only been at this for like long enough that it's probably not wise to be like oh yeah this 21 year old who hasn't done anything yet is definitely garbage yeah well like they very well 
Exactly. Like guys like Pul Yarvi or Philip Zadina, I thought both those guys were going to be really, really good players. And so far they aren't. I mean, Zadina's been good, but not on a yeah. by any means. But like, again, Zadina's what, 21 years old? So 20 years old, maybe even. And it's kind of a little early to just count him out. Yeah, exactly. I got one. I never, I thought, uh, so this is, he's not actually bad. But I remember thinking Jonathan Drouin was going to be the better of him and Nathan McKinnon. And my God, does that look bad now? Yeah, true. Um, yeah, even just like the Drouin for Sergachev trade, I always thought that was like a very fair trade on both sides. And I'd argue now that looks much better for Tampa Bay than it does uh, the Canadians oh, yeah. who couldn't even keep Drouin healthy this year. So, Yeah, exactly. And at the NHL level, two guys in recent history that I and specifically like my models have been higher on that I'm now – much, much lower on are Brandon Saad and Colin Miller. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I remember that Artemi Panarin trade when it got ha- uh, when it happened. I just, like, I didn't really think, I, ne- I never thought it was, like, good, but I never realized how bad it was until I realized how good Artemi Panarin was about a year later. And that was yeah, one exactly. that sticks out where it's, like, I kind of went, okay, they, they got Saad back, where it's, like, all right, yeah, like, he was good in their playoff runs. I could see that. And it's, like, one for one for Panarin. You go, okay, well, never mind. That was just way, way, way too much. Yeah, they traded, like, a younger player for an older player, and yet the team who traded the younger player, or got the younger player, is looking worse every day in that trade, and you rarely see that happening. Yeah. Um, okay, so from Hockey Lake 72 aka number one Nick Antropov fan, uh, he goes, what's your one of your favorite hockey games that no one remembers? Mine is one where the Flyers got a hat-trick from Billy Leno only to blow a three-goal lead and a two-goal lead to Atlanta with Ron Hainsey notching the OT winner. Uh, for me, hmm, this is tough. I would say, I don't know if this is cheating. When I went, I think my first hockey game was when I was, I want to say nine or ten years old. It was the Senators playing the Islanders in Ottawa, and uh, the Senators beat the Islanders in a shootout, and I want to say Jason Spezza and Alfredson had the game-winning shootout goals. Um, that would probably be the most random one. Ottawa was garbage that year. They, I don't even think they made the playoffs. That's why we went because tr- tickets were dirt cheap. Um, yeah. And we got like D, like we had fine. We were up in the three hundreds, but it was kind of like we had fine seats, and it was just one of the coolest moments. But that was probably the most random game I can remember. Yeah, I don't know if these count as random games, just in case they don't. I have one more fun one, especially if this person likes the Flyers, which maybe they do. But uh, I just remember watching those Philly-Pittsburgh, like, 2012 or whatever series was, where Flurry was letting in, like, seven goals a game from, like, a hotel room in Disney World with my friend Liam and just going absolutely nuts. But I think those <laughs> series were really well-remembered. I would say, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know if they're more... I feel like they're more well-remembered well just for how violent that series was, though. Yeah, that's fair. I just remember how stupid high-scoring it was. I don't even really remember that. I Like, the fights and whatnot. Yeah. As for most random games, do you remember... So this gets brought up for some context in our friend group a little more than anything else because our friend was at this game. But back when Guy Boucher yep. was the... Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning coach, and they were playing the one-three-one, and Philly yep. just sat in their own end, passing it back and forth. Yeah, that's a that's a very good one. I feel like that one's even like I feel like enough people probably know that just because of how insane it was. Yeah, it was like wasn't it like four minutes or something ridiculous? It was like the game two just... and a two and a half or three at least. Like the ref was going to blow it down and give them a delay of game penalty for not moving. I love that. Like, looking back, that is hilarious that they just said, screw it, we're not attacking this, and just sat there on their own end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is it, it's insane to think about, but it's like, it was kind of smart, because it's like, that system was just so annoying to try and go through. Oh, yeah, maybe it was pretty the, genius, to be honest. Maybe the only other random one that I can think of where it's like, and I remember this for a bad moment, and it's just kind of like one of the first times where I really realized that, like, Maybe fighting shouldn't be in hockey. Uh, it was when George Peros, he was, I believe he was on the Habs at the time, and they were playing the Leafs on, like, I think it was a weeknight, and Peros and someone with the Leafs got in a fight, and Peros got uppercutted and smoked his head right off the ice and was out cold. They had to stretcher him off. He was just out cold. It was one of the scariest things I had watched over TV in a while. Um, and that, that was just, a, I don't even know what year that was, but that was a random one where I remember just because it was like one of the first times where I kind of thought, I was like, Ooh, maybe this shouldn't be a part of the game. Yeah. Like, like the first time the severity of what can happen kind of hit you. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, still, I still, I think I was maybe 12 at the time, so I still just mindlessly shouted, fight, 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 whenever something happened. But at the same time, like, it was just kind of one of the first times where you thought about it, you step back, you're like, huh, okay, yeah, maybe maybe this isn't as good as we all thought. Yeah, this might be a problem. Um, okay, for the next one is from our friend Earl Schwartz, who says, can I make a guest appearance? I don't know if he's talking about this show or not, but uh, the answer to that is no to this show, but yes, definitely in the future. Uh, if anyone doesn't follow Earl, I highly suggest going to do that. His ad on Twitter is Earl Schwartz 27. Uh, Schwartz is S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z 27. Uh, he is probably the most knowledgeable person I've ever talked to about the how the NHL salary cap and rules work. Um, I think he's read yeah, like he's- every piece of the handbook. He must have. Like, he's the Leafs Twitter CBA whiz, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Like, to the point where, like, he knows it so well where it's like, like, I don't know. Like, would it shock you if some team actually picked him up at some point if he just kept showing that he knows every little bit of this, the the handbook? No, not even remotely. Like, he just, uh, I'm just on his right now, and he's just bringing up random parts of the collective bargaining agreement. It's like, oh, my God. Which is like cool. It's just like like I see. Oh my god! And like it's cool, but it's just like, geez, I couldn't even imagine having the time to go through and read all that. But that what that's what makes him such a great follow. So I definitely suggest following him if you don't already. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we got one more here from Chris, aka Corsi guy. Uh, he says, list your favorite Canucks and why. Uh, all time, the Sedin brothers. Uh, I don't know if I need explaining. They were ahead of their time, really, uh, in just like the high skill, high tempo offense stuff. And they just yeah, genuinely like, seem like good dudes, so right? Like, I don't even know. They were so, like, original. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a Sedin twin-style combo in, like, sports again. Yeah, well, just, like, watching where they would put the puck without even looking. Like, it'd just be like, one would be coming in off the rush. There's no way you could even see him. The other one would just do a backhand no-look pass and just tape to tape right for the guy in the open net. It's just like, how how is this a thing? Yeah, they were amazing. Um, Roberto Luongo is probably another one. True. More for his Twitter account than his playing. Yes. Uh, uh, what were you about to say with the Sedin, sorry? Oh, it's just too bad they never won a cup because they very much deserved it. Oh, absolutely. And it's too bad you couldn't see them in this era where, um, like, I if they were in this era, it would just be something to behold, I think, because the way people kind of realize they could try and stop them is just by committing murder on them because nothing got called. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, like watching them in this kind of era would just be a spectacle to see, like peak them in this era, I should say. Yeah, it's too bad. They they do seem like they were just like one generation ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Um, and then I guess for favorite Canucks now, Pedersen or Hughes, uh, I guess those kind of feel like cop-out answers, but like, I don't know. I, I, I also like Demko a lot. I've just kind of always... He was always one of my few guys where it's like, I think he got good on one of the NHL games. So I always just kind of was like, oh, Demko's really, really good. And I've just always wanted to see him do well since. So, Yeah, Markstrom also used to get really, really good in shell back in the day. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have any other for Vancouver? I got two kind of separate answers. I like Josh Levo, obviously, because he was a Leaf, but also because the first article I ever wrote on Last Word at Sports or whatever it's called that Alex is now managing editor editor of, I was about Josh Levo and how he was probably worth like a probably third round pick at the deadline or something like that. And not only has he proved me right in the meantime, but his girlfriend liked that article. (laughs) (laughs) I have no Uh, idea how it had like three likes, and one of them was her. Maybe just name searching Josh Levo to see what's uh, what's all happening. Must have been. Is there anything else we want to touch on today before we head off? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, I think we're good too, or I think I'm good as well. Um, I guess what I will say is just everyone stay safe, uh, social distance as much as you can. Um, Hopefully sports are back eventually, but obviously there's much bigger things in the world to take care of right now. Um, I, I would suggest, I, I, like, I don't like. Have you seen all the things going around of people being like, "Wow, what do people do while they're home all day?" Uh, just I found one of the things that I like to do is just picking up old things that I used to play. So like 
old computer games or even new computer games. Like I downloaded Civilization VI a couple months ago and just never got into it. And now I'm trying to get into it and play again. So if you ever need like an hour to kill on that, uh, doing something like that or watch an hour on Netflix or even just going out for a walk and just social distancing yourself with that way is uh, great. Yeah, I went for more walks in this past week than I have in the rest of my life combined. Oh, yeah. Like I'll go out for like 30. 30 or 40 minutes just to do something outside yeah because it gets to the point where it's like my god i just need to leave the house i don't care how long exactly yeah exactly and it's like you want to i understand like you want to go do stuff but it's like it's so important especially right now um as you know if we use our curve uh, comparing it to other countries we know the worst is still to come in a couple weeks here and then hopefully it'll you know, flatten out a little bit, but uh, it's just so important to make sure that we're ahead of everything and social distancing so that we don't spread it. Even if, you know, you know, for people our age, it's not fatal or not too fatal, I should say. Obviously, there have been people who have died, but the thing is you don't want to pass it on to other people, right? And that's the thing. Yeah, well, see, I was told grandparents would die to save the economy for their grandchildren. So. Yeah, there's been some absolutely wild quotes. Uh, I... Yeah, I don't know. I don't even want to get into it. Um, I, I I think if, you know, if someone asks why we didn't talk about it too much this episode, uh, I've always found sports to be, you know, somewhat of an escape. And this is so serious, obviously, that sports can't be an escape. But at the same time, um, keeping yourself informed is important. But make do that through the news sources and stuff like that. You know, don't uh, or you know, not even don't, you know, you can listen to what anyone has to say and take it with a grain of salt and but, you know, for us, you know, personally, I think we both kind of agreed that we didn't need to come on here and talk about how it impacts hockey or whatever for, you know, a full hour and a half because it's just it's been done so much. And we just want to try and do something else, of course. Yeah, exactly. Like my favorite was when the lockdown first started ish in Ontario, at least the uh, NFL free agency was happening. So I really just loved the PFF forecast podcast would go break down like just Something that, in the grand scheme of things, is meaningless. Like, will Bruce Arians change his system for Tom Brady? But, like, it's it's nice to have something that isn't, like, just doom and gloom at all times. Exactly. And that that's the biggest thing. It's so, like, obviously, yes, this is very serious. And make sure that you are listening to what all the health officials and stuff say, you know? If they say don't go outside unless you absolutely need to go outside um, – don't go outside unless you absolutely need to go outside, you know, or don't go shopping if you, unless you absolutely need to go shopping or whatever, right? Or if you're outside, come back quickly, right? But it's just one of those things where it's like when it comes to sports and stuff, there's absolutely no problem just trying to uh, find something that, you know, makes you happy for a little while and just distracts you from the world for a little bit. So uh, that's yeah. what I'd say. Just, you know, keep busy, keep safe uh, until next week or maybe later this week if we do another episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you liked it, share share with a friend. And uh, as always, uh, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find Chase at on Twitter at cmhockey66, myself at NHL Sends and stuff. And we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you.